0: I I don't know that very
1: well, but I No, I don't need a
0: scarf. Yeah. Well, I the chair, has your scarf? I <laughs> <laughs> Is that you? No. <laughs> Hi I'm sorry so, right. so um. That <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go.
1: So my my apologies that we're starting so late,
0: but um, we have about uh, an hour and twenty minutes to uh, to to learn together, and we'll begin um, actually with with. um, It's really good to see so many people. Such a a, a heartwarming to see so many people a week before before Pesach begins, and. It's always good to start with a little bit of silence, which uh, I'm sure after a day in New York City, you could even be on a silent retreat in New York City and you'd be silence from your silence. New York City is that way. So we're going to begin with uh, uh, an unbelievably long amount of five minutes, um, which for some people will be a long time and for others will be just the beginning, almost a tease. But be that as it may, um, it's good to begin with some silence. To, uh prepare some space to hear what we need to hear tonight of course I want to welcome uh, people here for the first time and invite all those who are here uh, tonight to turn off your phones uh, you know other ringing devices anything that rings anything that has a ring electronic devices if you have a pacemaker leave that on <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also just to let everybody know as soon as it gets silent in here um, you'll inevitably hear all of the noise from, from the street and that's as it should be um, so that's what happens when we get quiet we get, we get to hear other things that we normally uh, might not pay attention to so um, if you've never uh, meditated before I, I suggest that you just enjoy uh, now's not the time for meditation instructions but just enjoy to the best of your ability um, the sounds of silence I don't have a bell here, although in the future I might bring one. met some of my best friends on silent retreats. So it's um So it's a little ironic, because last week, in the last class that, uh, that we had together, we talked, we talked a lot about talking. We talked about speech, and um, Passover is the holiday of speaking. It takes place in the month of Nisan, which is the holiday that the Sefer Sirah, the Book of Formation says, is connected with the faculty of speech, Koach HaDibur, and it's uh, associated with the letter Hey. We talked about that last week. So what I thought would be interesting for us to do today is um, this is our last class before Passover and then we're on break for, until the end of Passover We're not having class during Passover So um, that means for the next two weeks we won't be having class So next Tuesday and the Tuesday after that So I thought it would be, uh, it'd be nice for us to do as a preparation for, for the Seder I thought we should go through the Seder together and learn it Kabbalistically It would be nice thing to do I did it I think two years ago um and every year it changes, like you know, everything changes every year. And um Okay, good. You to, let's uh let's look. So before we uh, you know before I hand these things out, um I think that uh the first thing to recognize is that the Seder, there which means uh order, right? The order. You know, the Seder is an order. It's uh, 15 steps, 15 stages. The beginning of the Seder begins with a a listing of these 15 stages that we're going to go through. And um, I have friends who have something, uh, they're recovering religious Jews and they, they don't do a Seder. But two days before the Seder, they have something called a, a chaos. That's what they call it, and I was invited to go to one. I, I, I didn't get a chance. I'd be curious to see what they do. But um, be that as it may, also. Uh, oh, so many things to talk about. No. David, just start. Okay, so... So Judaism is not a philosophy per se, but it is a yoga of... Um, of dialectic, of tensions between various things. Everything in Kabbalah that we've studied over the past couple of years has been the tension between various energies in the universe and how we, at the center, balance those energies. We are the ones who are called upon to walk in the middle path, to be able to draw energies from the right and from the left and to, and to, and to, um, to be the center, to be in the Merkaz, to be the Mishkan, to be the tabernacle where those energies are playing out And we walk, we're the ones who balance, we're the balancers, right? That's what we are. And um, just as in any yogic posture uh, in the physical body, there are tensions between antagonistic muscle groups and agonistic muscle groups. No muscle that's healthy is completely flabby without any tone whatsoever, in other words, without tension, right? A body without tension is not a healthy body. And a body with too much tension is also not a healthy body. And so Kabbalah is always... And any mystical uh, esoteric wisdom, whether it's uh, Vedanta or if it's Buddhism, whatever it is, Christian Sufism, whatever it is, is seeking to find a balance between extremes, to find the balance between uh, these, these uh, things that are in tension, and to find a way to bring them into harmony into balance. This is known in Kabbalah as the center column, or the, the center pillar. And one of the essential ways that that is done. Is through uh, intentionality and through speech. We talked about that last week. So, um, so the seder is a place where um, where we map out, in essence, the Jewish version of the Enlightenment process. So, on one hand, we would think, you would think, wait a second, the sed- seder is a place where we have nice chicken soup and matzo balls. You know, if you're lucky. And maybe a lot maybe a kogel, who knows what you're going to have. It's a place where kids come and they play and all that stuff. And that's true on one level. It's true that the Passover Seder is a, the kind of place where you, you, you go to be bored, right, until you get to eat. That's essentially where you go. It's like, okay, when do we eat? That's essentially... But like every other thing in Judaism, like every other thing, there are multiple levels in which it can be understood. Any letter in the Torah can be understood as either an arbitrary symbol that we just say, oh, bet. Okay. It can also be understood a little bit deeper, deeper, deeper. There are always many levels, many valences to understand any piece of the Torah, any piece of the Jewish tradition, any piece of any deep tradition. And the Seder is the same way. So for the mystics, the Seder is these 15 stages that I'm handing out for you. I made only 25. I didn't know that tonight was going to be a a sale or it was going to be a rush. So I didn't know. know. Had I known, I, I would have made more. So... It's just a roadmap. Just, I, mean, I just give it as a placeholder. If you don't have it, it's fine. You don't need it. Just, it's, people like to hold something. You can, yeah. you can just hold the air. Just hold this, you know. Make it look like you're looking at something. It's just a bunch of words. All right. Forget it. Let's start. Kadesh. The first step in the, in the Seder. was we come home, Kadesh Urechadz karpas Yachat. So the first, the first step. So Kadesh means Kiddush. It's the first thing that you do when you come home. Now mind you, let me, let me back up for a second. Before we get into the Kabbalistic, you have to know what the quote-unquote historical reason for a Seder is. So the, the bulk of the Seder is found in the Mishnah. Second century. It's legal. It's not mystical. It's not, it's not mystical at all. The rabbis, uh, based upon verses in the Tanakh, in the Torah, that there's there's a commandment in Parshat Bo, in the beginning of the Book of Exodus, there's a commandment that says that you'll tell your son tomorrow, you have a responsibility. In fact, the four sons themselves appear in the Mishnah, and the four sons are the, are the core of the, of the mitzvah, of the spiritual imperative, the spiritual uh, practice of Seder, of, of giving over Seder. It's from the word Haggadah, comes from the biblical word, and you will tell your children. Right? The Haggadah is an actual manual for fulfilling the mitzvah, the divine or the, the torah command to teach your children. right? So, so parents have a responsibility to teach their children. That's, that's it. right? So that's the beginning of the Seder. Then around that fundamental torah or biblical commandment, there was uh, the four cups of wine, which were taken from a verse that says that there are four verbs in a verse when God says, I will take you out of Egypt, and I will, and I will, I will. So, four verbs of divine activity become, for the rabbis, four moments to make a blessing over wine. And then they structured the entire Seder around those four cups of wine. Right? But the centerpiece of the Seder is. Magid, from the Vihigadita, hagadah. can you hear that? Magid, Vihigadita, right? The telling over. Which, by the way, last year we spoke about this, I don't know if you remember this, that the word lahagid to tell, is from the Hebrew word Gid, which means a sinew or a, or a ligament. That to tell a story is to bind together, right, is to bind together disparate pieces into one whole, into a gestalt. Right? So you have a story, a story that has no gid is not is nishta story, right? A story without without a gid, without a, a sinew, without a thread that pulls it together, is, is very post uh, modern. It might be even post 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 modern, post constructualist, post everything, post structuralist, post everything. A story is defined as that which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. History. In the Western conception, is as a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has a telos; it, it, it's going somewhere, and it begins somewhere. So, the gid of Haggadah is telling a story, and we'll get we'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to that in a couple of moments. So, another piece that many of the the simple historical contexts for the Seder have to do with the Greek symposia. That right, the hell the the Hellenization of the Jews, the Jews lived around the Greeks, so the way that the Greeks had banquets was that they had uh, wine, they had meat, they reclined, they asked Socratically, or philosophically, they asked questions, and then answers were given, right? So a lot of the structure of the Seder is itself structured around that context. Makes sense, right? But for the mystics, all of that is, um, that's all very nice, but for the mystics, it's it's like, oh, those were the historical excuses for what was really going on. And what was really going on in the mystics' mind is these 15 steps. Now, where does the number 15 come from for the mystics? Where did I get, let's do it again, let's sing out the song together, and you can follow it in your in your handout. If you don't have one, make believe you have one. Okay. Kadesh, <laughs> Karpas yachas, magin rachza, mosim matsa, maror koresh, shulchan hore, safun. The mystics, wow, 15 steps. 15 steps is a big deal. This Seder itself is, is pretty late. It's about 10th to 11th century. But the mystics say, wow, 15 steps. There were 15 steps that led up from the lower part of the Temple to the Holy of Holies. 15 literal steps. In fact, in the Psalms, in, right, in the Bible, there are Psalms, there are Psalms. Shir la ma'alot, right? Shir ma'alot right? Shirla Maalot, song of ascents, Maalot are in Hebrew, steps, to raise, to go up. Literally, Maalot, it's the steps. So the steps in the temple, in the physical temple, have also 15 steps. And there are also 15 psalms in the book of Psalms that begin a song of ascents, a song of steps, a step song. A song to sing while you're rising up. Right? This is my step and
1: Now,
0: for the, for the rabbis, the mystics, it's also the, the hidden name of God, Yah. Hallelujah means to praise Yah. Yah is one of God's names. It's the first two letters of the most important divine name. And it also is, for the Kabbalists, the secret. It's the name of God that is hidden, not, not revealed wrote liya Eloheinu. That ya, yud-hey, represents the concealment, everybody here was a Kabbalist, the Chochma and bina of things. Because remember, Chochma is the yud, and the hey is bina. Chochma is the first letter of God's name. The hey is the container, the vessel of the upper mother, remember that? So hallelujah means to say, these are the ways to get to ya. These are the 15 steps or stages of spiritual evolution and spiritual um, evolution evolution spiritual unfolding development that that lead the consummation that lead towards ya towards ya lohenu towards the the experience of the divine the intimate experience it's not the, the intimate taste of, of divine union. that's what it is so you begin from the beginning kadesh So, in the next hour, we're going to move from the ritual to its mystical meaning, and then its its, uh, location in these 15 steps, okay? So, the first step is to make kiddush, is to make a blessing over the wine. So, Kadesh is to pour a glass of wine and to make kiddush, meaning to sanctify the day. The sanctification of the day means to say the blessing over the wine, and then to make a specific blessing for the Chag. For, like we do on Friday night, right? We say, um, We say on, we say tonight, it's the whole thing for Pesach, right? That's the, the outside, okay? That's the shell. The kernel of that is, the kernel of that is the most, is the most important step. The most important step. A journey of 15 steps begins with one (laughs) kiddush, and that is, you can't start spiritual work if you don't essentially, if you haven't yet been awakened to how far you are away. (coughs) So when the Buddha, when the Buddha woke up, he didn't he didn't wake up finally when he was a Buddha. He woke up really when he was still a prince in his father's home. And by certain circumstances, he happened to go outside of the the palace gates. And he was able to see a number of things that really startled him, things that his father didn't want him to see. And the same thing with Moshe Rabbeinu, with Moses. Moshe woke up, (laughs) he went out to his brothers and he saw that they were suffering. So let me back up here one second, let me add an important line that maybe I should have added earlier. The Pesach Seder is the Jewish version of the answer to the question, why is there suffering? It's the perennial question. And the alleviation of suffering, maybe the, third, maybe the second and third of the Noble Truths, this is the Jewish version of that there is suffering, suffering is real life, is suffering, and there's a way out. And the way out is these 15 steps and living them in your life. And the first moment for the Buddha, for Moshe, for me, for you, for all of us, is when we get a taste of something uh, either in the place of deep darkness, in the place of deep suffering, or in a place of radical joy, where our life as it currently is, is exposed to something even more subtle, more beautiful, more profound, more real, more... more. And we want more. It's amazing to think that the Buddha didn't yet distinguish desire when he desired to be released. So he didn't achieve moksha, he didn't re- liberation, before he first had a yearning to be free. And he had, it for, he had it for many, many lifetimes before he was born as the Buddha. And when we, um, when we get a taste of, of that world, it's very hard to go back to sleep. It's very hard. And a lot of our suffering, uh, actually, after we've tasted the, uh, of a new order in our lives or whatever it is in the world, is the suffering of, of reconciling how much sleepiness we have in our lives and how strong is the urge to be awake. It creates a lot of restlessness. So Kadesh is the first moment of the Seder, but it's, it, it means holy, meaning you're holy. It doesn't matter how low you are, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, it doesn't matter how confused we get. It doesn't matter how often we fall asleep. It doesn't matter how often we lose our way. Kadesh is the, a radical affirmation Affirmation at the beginning of the Seder. It says there's something called Kiddushah and everybody is born into it. We're all born into it. That is our original state. That is our primary place. That's our 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 home, that's our first address. Everything else is kind of a temporary dwelling, dirat arai, but our, really our dirat keva, where we really are in the deepest place, is Kadesh. And Kadesh is the beginning and it's also the end. Because the beginning and the end are in wedge together. And so we begin where we will arrive, which is Kadesh. Does that make sense? I mean, I know you know it, but I'm saying the words.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So we begin there. And and the reason for the for the wine is. In the Jewish tradition, wine is an is a is a metonym. It's a it's a stand-in. It's a metaphor. For um, secret wisdom, ichnas yayin sod, that the numerical value of the word sod, which means secret, not soda, but sod. <laughs> right and and yayin is 70 yayin is wine so the verse there's a verse in our tradition there's a verse in the Bible that says when you drink wine secrets come out because the wine is um, like all of us we live so many days in our life is just a grape you know and then life squeezes us and I say oh you can be you can be you can be you can be wine you know we whine a lot with an H, but we can, we're really whine, right? There's a lot of whining, but we're... we're me, which means to say that um, if the first lesson about suffering is that, that there is a kind of suffering that comes to bring out that which in us would not come out otherwise. I'm not saying all suffering falls under that rubric. I'm not in that camp. I think there is suffering that sometimes is too much. Okay, there is sometimes suffering that's too much. This is where Judaism and Buddhism might might differ. Um, but that's the beginning. Orchats. Orchats is when we is when we wash our hands and it's the first of two washings of the hands in the Seder, it roughly corresponds to, again, a preparation to receive hors d'oeuvres. Right? In the Greek Symposia, in order to it, um, maximize your appetite, you would eat uh, some green, or, you, green vegetables. In, in other words, crudite. It's like a way to both... We know that the meal is a little bit further away, and that's the way it's structured, because we're going to have a philosophical discussion in a Greek Symposia. We're going to debate, we're going to argue. So, part of the Seder is to, uh, to eat vegetables before the meal. And of course, in ancient Israel, whenever you ate anything, any vegetable, or any fruit, anything, you had to wash your hands, because the system was that your hands could attract a kind of spiritual impurity. So by washing your hands with water, you would uh, be preparing to remove that film of spiritual impurity from your hands, and thereby re- making yourself ready to eat the vegetables. Yeah, make sense? It also served the function of, of um, from the rabbinic imagination, of changing up the normal meal so that children would be prompted to ask questions. right? Which we'll get to when we get to the magid about questions. So That's some of the historical reasons for the washing of the hands. What's unique about it is that you don't make a blessing over your hands. The blessing for having washed your hands is only made when you are washing the hands before you eat matzah or bread. So that is another unique moment of, there's no other time you wash your hands during the year this way. And so it kind of also is anomalous and weird. So what's the, so that's again, that's the the the, the shell. You got that? Mm-hmm. What's the al primiut, they would say al avodah. What's the inner place, the kernel of the of urchans? So to so purifying, so purifying, that in the spiritual, in the spiritual work, um, after we've been awakened, we want to purify, right? So, once, as one rabbinic, uh, one Hasidic master said, once the, once the window to your house has a little bit of light coming in and you see how messy it is, and you want to clean up. say, so, okay, I really want to get clean now. I really I'm not ready to make a blessing yet It's a little bit too early to make a blessing over my suffering but a lot of it is self-induced and I have to begin to clean up my life so I wake up I wake up and I want to I want to start getting clean I want to start adopting practices I want to start making inquiries I want to start calling I want to start making a list It's, it's just preliminary but the waking up Goads me. It's the It goads me to to want now to get straight. Want, you know, I want to get my life in order. I got stuff. I got to make amends. Or I got to do something positive. I have to start a yoga practice, diet practice. So whatever it is, you know, here's the analogy. It's like you remember yourself as a healthy person, and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, "Oh my God!"
1: <laughs>
0: and then you make a plan. Now I'm going to start working out. Absolutely. Urchats. Time to get pure. I got to start, you know, no more gluten. No more milkshakes at 12 o'clock at night. All right, fine. That was me. I was just kidding. None of that stuff, right? I got to, you know, whatever. I got to get straight. I got to get myself together. Bum, 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 bum. Wow. It's a lot harder than I thought. Right? Urchats. Wow, I'm so excited, I just bought myself a trainer, a trainee, I got myself, I got all the equipment, I got all my yoga mats, I got one for Monday, one for Wednesday, I got it all, I got everything I need. I, I went to the Lululemon store, I have everything, I'm like, all of the, you know, paraphernalia, I call it, all the paraphernalia, all the stuff that I'm going to pray with, it's all there, right? And then, bum, 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 Karpas, number three. Wow. So what's the outside? What's the shell of the karpas? This is the crudite. This is the spring vegetable that gives you, right, the sense of, right, if it was a Greek symposia, we got a long way to go, <coughs> right, here's some food to tide you over, maybe to make your appetite even stronger. We have parsley, we have something that grows in the ground, some green vegetable. Or more specifically, anything that you would say, the blessing, Bore pri dama. Blessed is the one who creates the fruit of the earth. It could be a banana, because a banana is growing on a bush. Anything that is not a tree. So it has to be growing from the earth. And why does it have to be growing from the earth? So now we have the outside, what's the inside? So what's the inside, everybody? What's the inside of, now that I want to get clean, now that I want to start a new program, now that I want to start watching my thoughts, I become aware of how crazy my thoughts are. Wow. I was happy when I was running around like a rabbit or like a rat in New York City, but the minute I get quiet, the first five minutes it's just carpas. What's carpas? It's a funny word. It means vegetable. Carpas. That so carpas like, is.
1: Does it also mean weed, like weed? Is it like... It's a
0: weed. It's something that grows in the ground. Mm. So you're saying. But Alina, it's what a, is it?
1: You're saying it's awareness.
0: After the awareness, I'm already aware. I'm aware, I looked in the mirror, I saw what's going on in my mind. Not so great. It's action, behavioral change. It's action. It could be an action. Could be an action. It's even more fundamental more abstract than that. Action is I want to say that we want to hold off on action. Because you still need something before you begin to act.
1: Slightly we made it play. We made it so, intention.
0: So all of those things we need to know. That even if we go into the ground, even if we go through a process like the seed goes through the process of negretto, of blackening, of erosion, no vegetable, no fruit of the ground has ever, ever survived the winter without having died first. Every vegetable, every single vegetable is itself a proof. Of a fundamental spiritual truth, which is you can't actually be born into your life until you're willing to die from the old life. Every carrot, every celery, each and every vegetable is itself the promise of renewal. So, the promise of renewal. So,
1: any earth vegetables, anything that grows in that? Any
0: earth vegetable Uh, had to be something that, like human beings, Mm -hmm is sprouting from the earth, from the humus, from something dark and full of antimatter. All of that stuff is going on, right? And in the dark of the winter, it's not growing, right? And it's the, it has to push through. It doesn't come from above to below. It has to push up against the earth, right? It has to push up against the earth and say, and it stays close to the earth, right? It's not this celestial apple and orange, it's low to the ground, it's humble, it's, it's, it's connected with the earthiness that it's going to be messy. Right? It's a messy vegetable. You're you lifting, you pull it out of the ground, you shake off the dirt. Say, this is what you're going to be. You've got to get into the dirt right now. Because you, you look at yourself and you say, wow, my mind, if I want to keep myself clean, if this is going to be a clean process, I'm not going to be born. So whatever I hold back, going into... The heart of the seder is what I'm. It's going to hold me back. I have to have the courage. It takes courage. It takes heart. It takes perseverance. It takes a promise, and it also means that it becomes a symbol. This is also why, at this point, a lot of people have the custom of eating an egg. It is now a symbol of of the, the circle of life, right? The of birth and rebirth and this is why we specifically at this point we dip it into into salt water right we dip the vegetable into salt water again those are the tears the tears of, of the suffering the tears of pain and so at this point again we we are about to begin the most important part of the Seder after Karpas the next two pieces are essential pieces that we can, we're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes but before you even start the sediv, you've already now established Kadesh Urchad Karpas. Which by the way, for our our Kabbalists here, it roughly corresponds with Keter Khochma Bina, but not exactly. But there's something very profound that's happening in this in this in these first three steps. Right? It's
1: not your sword, though? Carpasto is
0: similar. Well, all of, all, some of the things are on, this, on the seder plate, so they connect all with the spiroz on the seder plate. It's a different structure. Right? It's similar also to breaths, because it's a plant, and everything that's living breathes, and every breath dies for the next breath. Mm-hmm. So we're taking a big inhale before we go into the exhale of speaking, the magid. So, I kind of, kind of, kind of vital, right? Everybody there, kind of vital in terms of our, in terms of the seder. So, at this moment in the in the seder, we lift up the, the um, seder plate and we point to it, right? And we're about to, we say halachma anya. I don't know, how, everybody's a different song for that, right? <laughs> There's this Aramaic moment where we say, this is the bread of suffering. And so now the focus of the next two pieces, essentially, or really the next piece, the next two pieces, but the next piece is about the matzah. So there are three matzahs on the table. Traditionally, the three matzahs connect to the tripartite division of the Israelite people into kohanim, levim, israelim, kohen, priestly caste, levite caste, and Israelites. They're also, they also, also, also connect to ketechachma bina in in many systems, right? The the three upper sfirot of of will, of intuition, and of understanding, the three mentalities they're called. These three beautiful matzot, um, the middle matzah, the levi, will be broken. Now the Levites in the temple had a responsibility for singing the songs of the Psalms. That's what they did. They were the singers. And to break the middle matzah, okay, so that's what we do. We break the middle matzah. It's called yachatz, everybody. That's the fourth step. Yachatz, breaking. We break the middle matzah. There's a, one large piece gets hidden and the smaller pl- piece stays on the plate. Those who have studied with me for the last couple of years, um, now as we shift into the kernel of the matzah, you're going to know, you, you know a little bit, you can teach us a little bit of what, what we talked about the last couple of years. So the Zohar calls matzah lechem dememnusa, lechem demem, or nahama the, the bread of faith. The bread of faith. Because matzah, I went, with, I went with Bear this morning to a, to, to a little matzah factory. They, made, they set up a little matzah factory in the, in the shul like over here on 68th Street. It was just a room, me and the three-year-olds and a couple of other people. And uh, it was a long two tables. And they set up a grind, um, like a, a flour, uh, I don't even know, a mill, I guess, on, on the end of the table. And he actually had wheat stalks. It was, it was so fantastic. Um, and the kids were just completely spellbound. It was great. Uh, so he took off the chaff, and then you know, and and, and they ground the wheat, and then they, they made their own little matzahs, you know. And, uh, and he kept talking to them about the 18 minutes. You know, matzah is all about time. Matzah has to be, it, it rises after 18 minutes, right? That's this whole notion of the matzah, that it rises, and that in the Torah they couldn't, like, they, they were running out, right? They were running out from Egypt. So there are two aspects of matzah. There's matzah that represents the bread that they ate because they were slaves, that has nothing to do with the speed of their exit from Egypt. Right? This is the bread of affliction. means this is the bread that they ate because they were slaves. And slaves eat this kind of bread. Right? This is the kind of bread that they made them. One of the wonders of the bread is that you eat a little bit of it and it makes you full. So a slave, who's not sure they're going to get any food, right, takes a little bite and puts the rest of it in their bag right, for later. That's one aspect of the matzah. The other aspect of the matzah is that matzah represents the bare necessities that you need, you know, that you take with you, the essence. Like, how many people, I couldn't stop thinking about matzah all through, through after Hurricane Sandy. It's like, for so many people, there was a sense of tremendous loss. And for others, they walked away and they said, well, I took what was essential. Like, I really had to ask myself, okay, I'm leaving now, I'm not coming back. What is it that is most essential? And so matzah becomes the bare necessities, the bare ingredients that you need to live your life. Right? That's matzah. It's lechem oni. It's not, lechem, it's not the bread of affliction, but it becomes the bread of, of faith because you trust that just this is enough. This is all I need. Right? It's just flour and water. Doesn't have any sugar. Doesn't have any honey. I know that there's chocolate matzah. I know, and egg matzah. But in in, in its basic form, it's just water and, and right water and flour. It's like matzah is the bread of faith because it asks you the question: How much is enough? Do I have enough? What do I need? Do I really need that fifth iPhone or whatever? <laughs> to be banal, you know. How much do we really need to to be and that works on all four levels of our Kabbalistic universe. How much do I need physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually? What really is my bare bones minimum? That's matzah. Matzah is that, um, that quality, say the Hasidic masters, of the uninflated ego. Right? In Hasidic texts they call bread egoic matzah. Matzah with an ego.
1: <laughs> we
0: might say it's matzah with an agenda. Like matzah that thinks, like, look who thinks he's a big matzah, you know? That's bread. Like, puffed up matzah. That's bread. That's the way that the Hasidic matzah is called. It. So like bread is like matzah, like, with a big trip. Like, on a trip. It's like, I'm not like the rest of these guys. I'm off a spitz. I got it together. I got raisins. I'm, I'm a challah. I'm a bagel, you know? I'm, I'm a croissant. I'm, you know, French matzah with the eagle. huh? That's matzah, matzah, you know, bread is, you know, a spitz to matzah. <laughs> and matzah is the beginning of, the, of this holiday, the beginning of, of the calendar year, is flat matzah, as if to say, Zo, this is it, this is what I need. Look, I can make matzah bubble, I can make uh, matzah bray. I can make, you know, I can make a matzah pizza, I can make all kinds of matzah. It's about
1: humility.
0: It's about humility. It's about, it's about humility as the necessary ingredient for beginning the process of spiritual growth. I can't tell you how... I can't, well, I will tell I'm going to tell you. I can tell you how, how arrogant I was when I started my, my spiritual path. I remember being 22 years old and taking my first yoga class, an integral yoga, and like a month later coming to my friend who was like, slash, my guru, my teacher, my everything, and I said to him... You know, I was, like, showing off. I remember, like, I know, I, I know the whole Surya Namaskar, I knew all this, I knew all the salutations, di- I was, like, on, on, on it all. You know, I knew my asanas, I had an asana chart in my house. And he said to me, he said, he says, you're, like, 20 years away from really knowing anything about yoga, he said to me. And first of all, he really broke me, right? You know, like, it really broke me when he said that, because I trusted him. And I thought, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's talking to David Ingram. Like, I, I get stuff quickly, I'm going to, you know. And it's amazing, right? It's amazing, amazing, amazing. It's amazing how much humility in terms of where we're going and in terms of uh, our small incremental changes. Like, you ha- you need a good dose of matzah to begin this process. And you also need to recognize, we all need to recognize, that we break the matzah, the Levite matzah, which is the, the matzah of singing, the singing matzah, as if to say that kol'od, as long as we are not fully doing our spiritual work, we are diminishing our song. Our song in the world, our voice in the world, our heart song, is diminished. Another way of saying that, I'd say it more positively, that when we do make a decision to work on our level of simplicity and, and bring ourselves into our spiritual life, which is what Pesach is trying to say, we are going to free up our Levites. Our inner Levi, 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 Me, like our inner, inner, uh, our inner song, our inner truth. Another simpler way of saying this is, is that when we turn our attention towards ourselves, we come to know parts of ourselves that have been waiting for us for a long time. And it doesn't, and we don't, we don't have one Pesach and then we're done. We come back every year. Pesach is every year, just like you don't take one shower for your whole life, and say, okay, I'm done. I took a five-hour shower. I'm done. That's it. That's it. What do you mean? I don't have to shower now. I I had a shower last year. I'm fine. So every single year, every single year, every single month, and I would like to honestly say, every single week and day, we cycle through these 15 stages. So I should have said that in the beginning, but this is obviously a strong time of the year to work on this. So we break that middle matzah, and we hide the bigger part. That becomes what in Greek is called uh, the... What's the hidden bigger matzah? The afi...
1: Komen.
0: Afi Komen. Which is Greek for... It's Greek to me. What's it Greek to you? What does it mean? Dessert. Dessert. It's dessert. I
1: thought it was the smaller one you
0: get. No, you you hide the bigger one. It's important. Who knew? I have to look in your haggadah. You have to trust me. she's not
1: me. trusting she's
0: me. She's not trusting it's me. It's I okay. I, I don't so want you... Don't trust that's anything that's I'm that. saying. That's Look it up. But I ask you a question. Why do you trust them? <laughs> <laughs>
1: because it's written down. Because it's Because oh. it's for my childhood.
0: Oh, that's then definitely not a good thing. There are <laughs> things from your childhood that you should trust and things that you should... Do. Okay, anyway, so moving on. So, speaking of childhood, uh, this is going to be important because... We're going to hide the afikomen, and hiding the afikomen for the mystics is a very big deal. I know for the rest of us, you know, when I hide the afikomen, it's like okay, we hide it behind the picture frame, we hide it in there, you know, all the different places that we hide it, and we hope that we hope that they find it, which is true, we do hope they find it. But we'll get to that later. Because now we we begin the, the the essential core of of the Pesach Seder. Now, what is it on the outside? What's the what's the husk? What's the the shell of it? The shell of it is a group of of prescribed pieces of a haggadah. Maxwell House. It doesn't matter what your haggadah is, they're all the same thing. It starts with what? With Ma Nishtana, right? And it goes all the way through to Diana and went a little bit after that, right? And in between there's a ton of stuff that ninety nine point nine percent of us skip. Right? Right? Because it's, it's a bunch of rabbis doing midrash, or you wish, right? A lot of us wish we could skip, right? Exactly. I'm sorry. You're, you're being recorded, but I didn't say who it is. I'm not saying who it is. anonymous. Um, so I used to also, I mean, when I was, except during my ultra-Orthodox stage for five, six years, it was like, oh my gosh. So essentially, let me just explain the outside of it and then the inside. The outside of it is, is that the rabbis are doing rabbi stuff. In other words, they're saying, this is the way the tradition is going to continue, doing this kind of thing. They're modeling their approach to the continuity of the Jewish people. We will continue, over the course of the next 2,000 years, they said, if we engage in exactly this process of taking our text and, and bending it and shaping it and unpacking it and stripping it and you know making it mean ridiculous things. This endeavor called midrash, which means to seek out, to study, to expound, is the rabbi's diagnosis, it's their prescription for the future. They knew that there would be an exile. They were already on the verge of an exile. This was for them the prescription for the continuity of the Jewish people, a kind of Raja Yoga, a kind of mind yoga, mind-intense intellectual exercise, where they thought which would be and ensure the continuity of the Jewish people. That's the outside. Got that? Mm -hmm. But here's the inside of it. And with this, I want to free you from having to say all of those things. And by the way, I'm not the only one. Maimonides, Rambam, many others say that the core ingredient of Magid, which we're up to, right? So it's, The fifth stage, and by far the biggest, is Ma. Asking. Asking questions, noticing differences. Manishtana is a core principle of spiritual work, which is noticing the difference between one thing and another, noticing how things affect us, noticing how small changes make big imprints. Manishtana is awakening within us what is called koachma, 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 the quality and strength of the questioning inquiry. You know, it can be Byron Katie with the four questions. It can be the work. It can be any kind of inquiry into the state of my own heart and mind. It can be reading Mark Nepo, or a Buddhist-inflected writer, or a Jewish-inflected writer that's asking questions about the quality of our experience and what it is that, that promotes our health and promotes our well-being and also looks at the causes of our suffering. It doesn't have to be that formula. Chabad will tell you it does, and I'm here tonight to say on behalf of the Jewish people, you know, <laughs> the State of the Union, It doesn't have to be... Skip it, but don't skip it. Skip that, but don't skip it. Because it is... You know, if you're sitting around with a group of adults, and again, this gets complicated because you might have kids there and so on, and you ask serious questions, if you ask two real questions, and, and people have an opportunity to share with each other, about, you know, when do you find... When do you find your heart closes the most in your life? What's your mitzrayim? What's your narrow place? What, is, what are the elements in your life where you feel continue to hold you back, the patterns in your life that you keep knocking up against year in and year out? And how did you make a change this year? What changed for you this year in that pattern that you talked about last year? Did you see any marked difference? And that might be a very intimate conversation. Again, the seder was supposed to be very intimate. You can make it less intimate, less heart sharing, and make it more profoundly political, right? Right. But one thing is for sure: is that that the rabbis never envisioned that the seder would become this rote repetition of, uh, you know, five pages of rabbinic exegesis, on six or seven verses, Pak Shanut, uh, you know, this, you know, Rabbi Akiva says that there were 250 plagues at the sea because God's finger did it, and for God has five fingers, so five times ten is 50, that's not, that's, I mean, that's beautiful in its own way if you're part of a tradition in your family or you know rabbis who would like to draw lessons from that and you have people in your community, fine, but the, the, the essence of it, it's like prayer. It's like using, like just reading the words of a sidur is, is, is mind-numbing. It's like, it's like take one piece of magid and chew on it. And chew on it till there's flavor. You know, in, in yoga, when you're chewing on food, you have to chew until all the prana is out of it, all the energy is out of the food. Right? So that's when there's no taste left. And that's what you have to do to parts of, the, of our liturgy and parts of, our se- of the Seder. You keep chewing on it. So you have to go online, you have to do some work. Nobody said it's going to be easy. Do-it-yourself Judaism means being a producer, not a consumer, because it's always easy to buy something that somebody else did instead of doing it yourself. So do-it-yourself means to take that middle piece, Magid, and to find a thread. Say, say to yourself, you know, there's personal narrative, there's national narrative, there's Jewish narrative, and there's international narrative, four narratives. And I'm going to ask four questions. Those are going to be my four questions. And I'm going to ask each member, I'm just making this up right now, I don't know, whatever is good for you. Four questions on narratives in your life. Which narrative do you think is an unhealthy narrative that needs to be reimagined, rethought, reinterpreted, respun? And give each person a chance to speak from their own personal narrative, then the United States narrative, then as a Jew what their narrative is, which part of the Jewish narrative needs to be, we have to stop thinking... The Holocaust happened yesterday. We're a different group now, 60 years later. We have to stop X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 whatever it is, and have that as part of your conversation and make it safe and make it uh, rich. Because remember, this is the original talking cure. Magid is the antecedent to Freud. It is absolutely, without a doubt, a national therapeutic model. Right? That If you talk about your story you can transcend your story. But if your story talks you, then you're not transcending your story. That if we become those who are able to interpret our story, then we in some way have a distance from it and we can reinterpret it. That's essentially what Freudian psychoanalysis is in, in, in a very highly reductionistic, very simplistic overview. It's the opportunity to have your, the narrative of your life have sentences and paragraphs reworded by your therapist and then it becomes your own re, reworking of your own narrative. So that's the, that's, this, this Magi piece is so juicy and you can get kids in it, you can do it with puppets, you can do so much about it, but it's the most uh, fundamental piece. Now it begins, there's one rule, madchil begnut unmesayim be'shefach that it starts talking about how bad it was. All right, can I tell you something? This is before there were 12 steps, there were 15 steps.
1: <laughs>
0: these are the these are the original, these are the original 12 steps. It's like we admit that we were powerless. Right? That's the first step. The first step is like you start off and say, you know, if you read the actual Haggadah, you know what we say? And by the way, just to give this more more weight, when you have the, when you have your your seder, one of the rabbinic responsibilities is, one of the rabbinic injunctions is that it's it's a time that you are a king or a queen or a prince or a princess. There's something very majestic about the seder, which is why, by the way, in all Jewish homes, uh, in traditional Jewish homes, they used to there was an actual Jewish law that said you used to, you had to use the best dishes you had. Everybody had dishes for the year. And then you brought out the best dishes, not because you use them with non-matza, that's, a, that's part of it, but the best dishes that that night you are a king or a queen, you're a prince or a princess. And so can you imagine any king? imagine President Obama right getting down it's a state dinner, a state banquet, and he's about to tell the story. You know one, everybody always has their narrative and they're working on their narrative and they have to spin their narrative. And he starts off by saying, "You know, it's hard to believe. But I was once a slave. Now, they do do that to some degree because they want to amplify the power of his ascendancy, right? From rags to riches, it's a great story, right? It's like, you know, I was once playing ball in the, in the lot, or I was like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't read English. And now I'm the President of the United States, whatever it is. That's the way the Seder in the actual Haggadah begins, this part of Magid As if to say, let's talk about who, who we are today, but let's let's acknowledge where we came from. So this is the ultimate shadow, the anti-shadow, right? Jungian, in the Jungian sense. Like, we're not saying, you know, who, us, slaves? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Self-made. That's right, we're kings and queens. We got it all good. It's like they start off with the dark material. We were once idolaters, says the Hagadak. Irami Ovet Avi, that I had an idol, you know. That that Abraham's father, Terach, was an idol worshiper. So, spiritual work is being able to say the truth, especially if it's hard to say. That's this part. And obviously, I get that in the Seder, if you're having a Seder in a, you know, I once had a Seder at a Buddhist monastery in Brooklyn where the people were on a seven day silent retreat before the Seder. (laughs) And it wasn't an actual seder, just so you know. I was like, I had my two seders that year, but it was like on a Sunday before Sunday. It's just you wonder And it was an opportunity to really buddhicize this, the seder. So we literally, like, it, these were the first words that they spoke, like, in a week. Can you imagine? It was like, it was strong. So, like, they weren't interested in, like, you know like past the horseradish, you know. They weren't like, they weren't wasting words on like, you know, they were, it was a real place. Like, they were quiet. And at each moment, like we just said, like it was like a heading. I said, you know, because they weren't going to read the Hebrew, I said, here's the part where you get to speak the most painful part of your karma. And have it held by this table. We're holding it. Where nobody's telling you how to work it through, you just get to name it. Right, and, and, and they named it, it was so beautiful so just in giving you food for thought this is Magid after we get to this, it, it, just so you know in the flow of it by the time you're already done talking about how bad things were and you say we were once slaves we were idolaters and we were once slaves you know where we, where we worship idols that are not real God technology futurism, progress you know anti-ageism the eternal youth, all of the idols that we worship during the year, that we can get it all done, that we don't need help, that we don't ask for help, that we ask for too much help, that all of those things, on a personal level, on a national level, and so on. We get to the place where we say Dainu, which means to say that we really arrive at a place of, of gratitude. We really begin to see how developing a mind that is connected with the present moment, with what is really enough can, can often be the antidote to so much of our suffering that the, the, the posture of the, of the enlightened mind that can say, no, it's enough I'm here, it's enough you know, had you only taken us out of Egypt it would have been enough if I can get to that place of it would be enough of mode'ani and that already is the beginning of Halil. It's the beginning of joy. It's the beginning of the cultivation. The, uh, the beginning of undoing some of those patterns. That we recognize that more often than not, suffering in our lives is directly proportionate to our gratitude muscles. That more often than not, the system that breaks down in our, in our, in our spiritual system, our spiritual body, is our gratitude system. So we sing this big song: Die, die, ain't no, die, die, ain't no, die, ain't no, die, ain't no. And then everybody inevitably says, "Would it really have been enough?" And you say, "Yes, it would have been enough." And that's a really good moment to ask people around the room to, to, to name some of the things in their lives that they're happy for, that this is enough. You know, would I if, if I had just this, it would be enough. You can really go to a deep place with that. Can you imagine? Really, how much would be enough for you? Like, really, like, like get, let's get naked. Like, if if I just had you, and if I just had this family, I'd be, I, it, it would be enough, right? Or maybe not. Maybe you can get, you know, this is this is what's really. These are or these. Maybe maybe if it would be enough with me, it's maybe too hard. Maybe it sounds too much like a job interview. Like, how much would be enough for you? Whatever. But maybe, maybe you can just name those places in your life that are enough. Or it doesn't have to be the things in your life, the places in your life, the relationships in your life. Right? The qualities in your life. Like all this is part of the of the enlightenment agenda. Like enoughness. Because mina metzer karati ya. From the place of narrowness I screamed Yah and then I and then I heard Anani I heard it back, echoed back. That when I'm in abundance mind the universe meets my abundant mind with abundance. It's just weird the way it works like that. Right? When I'm in abundance, then I see, oh, the world is abundant. Interesting. So now at the end of this story... And by the way, it's, it's, everything is, uh, obviously, we're not expecting that by the end of the night that this is actually enough time to work on each one of these stages. It's a symbol. It's a symbol pointing to something larger. Say the Kabbalists, after we, we do this work, and this work is an ongoing piece of work, in some way we can raise our hands up and say, okay, now I'm ready to receive. I wash my hands before we started as if to say I have a lot of work to do. But now I've been doing the work maybe 15 minutes, maybe 15 years, maybe 15 lifetimes. And we arrive at a place called Rachza where we actually wash our hands now ready to receive the bread of of communion, the communion wafer. I mean that only half-jokingly because, of course, it is based upon that. The, the Christian communion is based upon the wafer of the matza, the simplicity of Christ's body. So... Um, I lift up my hands and I say, and this is one of the more powerful moments also in the seder. Again, it's so much is happening, so it's hard to like close your eyes and, and give it a kavana, and give it an intention. Usually it's done laughing, you're online with somebody. But you're going to lift your hands above your head. And whenever you lift your hands above your head in, in Kabbalah, it's, it's, it's a symbol. What's the symbol, Max? You know. I'm receiving. I'm receiving from, from that which is beyond beyond my own understanding. In other words, how the mystery of how people transform is not in my own hands. Like, I just did the work, but the work was doing me, right? Like, I want to pat myself on the back and say, oh, it's really amazing now that I'm on the other side, I'm full of gratitude, and life is much more beautiful. But guess what? God, mystery, source of life, you know, I thank you for, for, for sparking that in me. I thank, I, I, even in this moment, I have a chance to be grati- have gratitude. Thank you for, for what's given. Even my yearning to be free was given. Right? And I'm ready now to receive the bread of faith. I'm ready now. I'm clear enough. I can receive the bread of faith, the bread of simplicity. Because when I am clear with who I am, I don't fill it up with all the other schmutz. Right? When I'm really in a good place, like really in my core, then what arises in me is not trying to fill that hungry ghost. Then the simplest thing, and it's the best analogy always is like, so whenever you're on a retreat or you just finished your yoga practice or, or you've just finished davening in at, at a nice, uh, alive synagogue or mosque or, or church, and you're feeling the energy moving through your body, and you feel connected with a lot, you're alive like everything else is alive, like the clouds and like the earth beneath your feet. It's so true in my experience, and again, take this for what it's worth, I'm teaching tonight, but you don't have to receive what's not true. The, you know, when your eyes are blinking, that's amazing. You know, you feel, you feel joy in, that's in your body. For some reason, there's joy in your body, it's energy, and it feels, Wow thank you or you see another human being and, and you really see them and you're like wow right? so it's the simple things right when we get empty in that way we don't need a lot to, to fill us up so we, we can like open our arms and say okay I'm ready for the matzah I'm ready for the motzi right so we make ourselves ready to receive the matzah right And guess what? Just as we made, we washed our hands before we took, right? Just as we washed our hands before we ate a vegetable from the ground, which is, doesn't require any human hands, to, right? I'm sorry, I'm not sure if this is going to be clear. Let me make sure it's clear. I have, I, have a, I have one shot. Let me make sure this is clear. So we washed our hands without a blessing before we began the journey. And then we, we take a vegetable that's full of earth and full of humility and close to the earth. And it's a, disti- a distinguishing feature of, the, of, of a vegetable is that you can just eat it. It's like, it's, it's good to go. Right? Which means to say you need a lot of grace just to start. Right? That vegetable is a gift. Right? you got a gift. That wake-up call is a gift. And to get through the mud... it will also be a gift, you'll get a a good push but when you finish the journey even after you've given it all back to God you eat matzah as if to say this also came from the earth but guess what it took a lot of hands it took community it took took, uh, human uh, interaction I didn't do this on my own and to some degree matzah is an expression of human community Right, human beings and human technologies—the power of we, not just the power of God initiating you, but the power of sangha, the sangha of, of simplicity, the of apshuta, ab- like the, the, the really the simplicity of a community that supports our practice, and without which it's not possible to sit down and break bread. So we arrived at seven, seven steps. That's pretty good. I think. Mm -hmm. Motzi matzah. Eight. Well, they have Motzi. No, Motzi matzah is seven and eight. Seven and eight. Seven
1: and eight.
0: No, it's Motzi matzah is
1: seven and
0: eight. Motzi matzah, seven and eight. Two different mitzvot. And he has it, it's, it together? Yeah.
1: It's together
0: and yeah. nine is more. Yeah, nine is more, okay. So now everybody, now we're up. This is it. This is the the moment of of deep ecumenical parallel. This next moment is Christ on the cross. You could say it. Just cause I said it doesn't mean that I meant it, but I mean I mean I mean it. That is the symbol. That's the, the esoteric symbol of the suffer of the divine in that is what we would say in our tradition. The 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 shekhinah the divine presence that is in exile. This is the the suffering in this world that I need all eight steps to arrive at the ability to eat the to eat maror straight I'm going to eat maror which is now I'm ready to transmute suffering it's not just that my own suffering but now that I can now that I'm clear I'm able to touch suffering in the world and sweeten it which is the kabbalistic way of saying undoing suffering right to sweeten judgments or to sweeten dinim, dinin is the kabbalistic notion of untying suffering knots, knots of suffering, right? So what do we do? We take the maror, a nice piece of horseradish, or some people have romaine lettuce, right? That's the outside of it. They take a piece of maror, which is said to represent the suffering of the Israelites in Egypt, and we dip it into charoset, which is this very interesting pasty mix of nuts and apples and figs and some, many different recipes for that, which is said to symbolize the bricks and the mortar that was used in in building the the structures. We have livenim, we have these bricks, and we eat this in commemoration of the suffering of the Israelites. But according to the Kabbalah, this is a moment of of deep intentionality because here our kavanah, our deeper intention is to sweeten the karmic judgments that are the residue of past lives, and the karmic residue of our own actions, that we're ready at this point to sweeten them, to make them good. Not just to make them good, to see blessing in them. Mm-hmm. To be able at this point to even see them as, as the czar says, to turn straw into gold. It's an alchemical process of taking something that was um, that wasn't healthy and lifting it up. Cleansing it, purifying it, saying this too. And it takes eight steps to get there and it could take 90 years to get there right? (laughs) to be able to say, you know and we could say it here I wouldn't say it in the pastoral care I wouldn't say it ever, God forbid but as Wayne Mueller if anybody here ever uh, wants to read uh, on off the charts uh, spiritual teacher, Wayne Mueller Wayne Mueller, M-U-L-L-E-R and and a Christian also named uh, Parker Palmer also, like him so Wayne Mueller has a book called *The Spiritual Advantages of a, of a, of a Painful oh, Childhood*. Yes. That I, I think I ordered, ta- ordered it. Okay. Yeah. It's such an amazing book. It's such an amazing book. He looks at he looks at various various pieces in our lives that we grow up with, and especially if we grow up in dysfunctional families and, and families that are painful. And it's hard to imagine anybody who doesn't grow up in a painful family. So that includes essentially everybody, right? So everybody's dysfunctional, which means everybody's functional according to the rules of logic. Um, and what's so wonderful is that he does it with a Buddhist and, and, and also Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, mystical, kind of inter-spiritual approach. And he talks about, you know, he talks about some of the harder things that people have been through in their lives. Things that, I'm not going to say, but very painful things, very painful. And how, working with various people, how he was able to, to turn their straw into gold it was a very delicate process and this is the symbol for that when, when Christians eat the, eat the wafer, the matzah Christians are in a sense in, in, they are in taking into their body the body of the resurrected savior which is to say that suffering can be resurrected that suffering can be redeemed right? that, that, there's a, that, that we are the ones who can redeem a suffering god which we also have in our tradition, as you know, the Shrina is suffering, the Divine Feminine is suffering, and that we become that vehicle. We become the vehicle for the cessation, the alleviation, the alleviating suffering. And then we do this thing Korech. <clears throat> Korech step ten is um, the sandwich that Hillel used to make. At the time of the Temple, he used to take, he used to make a sandwich out of the bitter herbs, out of the Passover sacrifice, and uh, and out of and, and matzah. So. This is the second way of working with suffering, says Hillel. We try to sweeten it with the sweetness of the sweet charoset. And another thing we can do is when we add, when you add matzah, when you add simplicity to suffering, you can eat it. It's another way of sweetening it. It's not just sweetening it with with spinning it in a certain way of extracting it. But he says that It's possible, he says, to add faith and to add simplicity to the suffering and in that way make it digestible. Shulchan Arech 11 I'm sorry we're moving a little bit faster now but we're almost done. Shulchan Arech is is when we eat and um, this is an expression of of radical uh, freedom. It's an expression of, uh, to some degree, in the, in, you know, in the ox herding. People know the ox herding pictures. You heard of the ox, the ten stages of enlightenment in Buddhism. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, 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 to eat the meal after nine after uh, um, the, uh, eleven stages. I think we're on ten stages now. We're in the eleventh stage. stage. To eat the meal after 10 stages of spiritual preparation now is, is to say that you can now engage in the world, in the marketplace, in all of the those things that are seductive, all of those things that are tempting, all of those things that take us out of ourselves, and you can remain centered knowing how to feed yourself, right? knowing how to nourish yourself. From the inside out. From the inside out yeah, from the inside out. Now it's not coming from... From another place, it's coming from deep inside. It's such a beautiful thing that it comes so late. In, now it's like not when do we eat, but I don't want to eat yet. I'm not ready, right? It's like I'm not ready to eat because now all I'm all going to do is be eating. Rab Zalman likes to say that if there are four worlds in Kabbalah—body, heart, mind, and spirit—each world has food, and and most most addictions are are is a is a, a world confusion. So you're feeding your physical... You really need something in the level of Yetzirah emotionally, but you feed your body. It's like you're very confused. It's like, I'm sad, so I have ice cream. Right? I'm really hungry for an interesting conversation, but instead I turn on the TV. Right? I'm really needing silence, but instead, you know, ich weiß. I get into something... Emo- I go to therapy, maybe. That's also a world confusion. I, I don't really need to talk with somebody. I just need to be silent. And so having, being able to navigate those worlds is, it takes a lot of uh, maturity. And by the way, it's, it's unfortunate, but in our culture we're not really brought up to be able to be world travelers, so to speak, in that deeper sense. It's much easier to go to Florence than it is to know that you really don't need ice cream and you just really need to rest. Because, you know, you push, it takes a lot less self-control. Shulchan Arech. And then we get, this is the biggest moment in the whole Seder. Hands down. Safun. So on the outside, Safun is the return of the the piece of the matzah that was hidden. The name Safun means hidden thing. Safun means hidden. That which was hidden, Safun. T-Z-A-F-U-N, the hidden thing. And here's the sweetest thing in the whole world: Who brings back the hidden part of the matzah?
1: It,
0: isn't that the truth? Right? Lest ye be as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom. Right? That's what that's what Jesus said, and it's a spiritual truth. Right? I, a lot of Jesus references not to freak you out, but just because it happens at the same time. Right? The, Jesus and and the codification of this. Of this ritual are around the same time, so and and also as a deep teacher, I'm going to assume that Jesus was a master. He kind of had something to say, and so here and here it is. He appears, it appears in our tradition. The children ask the Manishtana. they're the ones who notice the differences, and the child in you, not to be cliche, but it's really that childish consciousness that all of us have. The child in you, the child in you is the one that's always kicking and screaming. And telling you, right, often telling you the best things that you, the things that you really most need to hear. Not always, not always. Not everything in childhood is, is a, something that we want to listen to, but often the child is the one who is what... It's uh, a pearl in the dungeon. It's a pearl in the dungeon. It's a pearl in the dungeon, often. And, and Jung, uh, you know, the eternal nature of, of that, the per-eternus, the child, the, the eternal child, is a very important part of, of, of our journey. Right, And it's the source of our great compassion and our creativity and our curiosity. It's like, when I was young, life was so wonderful. Right, Then they showed me a way, showed me how to be practical and logical. All these things. So here comes a child who still knows how to look for things. The child is the one who knows how to look for things. The child is the one that's unabashedly Right in the little prince asking questions before, before this is the little prince moment. The child says, Here's your voice back. Remember, the lady is the voice. Here's the, the submerged larger piece, trust me on this, larger piece of the matzah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the submerged larger piece of the matzah that has been what you've been looking for, but you've been looking in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. I'm your man, says the child. I'm your woman. I'm it. And I got I got something to tell you. Right? And I it's just, I'm not making this stuff up. I couldn't it's like a script. I couldn't make this up if I tried. This is, there. is This is part of the this is like the halakha. The halakha is in the Rambam is that the child is, is that we have the afikomen to keep the child excited and the, the child thinks oh there's something interesting coming. But that's the upshot on the psycho spiritual levels the child comes back and says, Hey mom and dad and it's not the outside child. The outside child is, my, is me. It's, it's like a dream. It's all me. And you and each and every one of us. That's the tzafun. And when that comes back, that's when Elijah the prophet comes and says, oh, there's going to be a new day. Right? Because that's the part of the Seder where we open up the door and we say, Eliyahu Hanavi, here he comes from, na da Right? Here's our cup of Eliyahu. da 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 Because Elijah is heralding in a new age. And the new age is when, as the, he says, as the prophet in Malachi says, when fathers will return the hearts of the sons. Right? That when the hearts of the young will be returned, that there'll be this this intergenerational exploration of consciousness. Where not that I won't have submerged all of that aliveness and the connection with nature. When I was poetry itself, Gerald Manley Hopkins said there was a time, O oh elf. Where you were poetry itself. Right? So the poet the poet of the you know, sometimes I mean all of us have this. How many of us I have this every day where I speak to people that I know that I knew as a kid and I can hear in them, I can hear time's effect on their voice and the kinds of things that they ask. And I can feel it. Like I can smell the age on, on the way they're speaking to me. And there's part of me that wants to take the phone and go, Hey, you I, do, I want to do that to myself all the time, but I can do that. But like with my friends, like, come on. Alive, alive. Ask questions, talk, break rules, break the internal rules, break all of the tablets. Let's go. So Tzafun comes and says, here, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the horse, all the king's horses and all the king's men, only a child can put them back together again. That's Humpty Dumpty. That's Tzafun. And that's the Kabbalah, and that's the deepest mystery of the Kabbalah of, of returning the hidden spark in all things. That's the Gnostic principle. that There's a, God, there's a shtickle God in everything. Everything has God in it. Every, everything in the universe is a nut that we are the nutcrackers of. We're the nutcracker sweets. That's us. Mm-hmm. We just crack nuts. And the child says, "Ugh, let me look. What's that? What is that? Ma'anishtana. What's that?
1: <laughs>
0: so it's a fun We're up to now the blessing. We make a blessing. We're able... Now with the child back in tow, we're at the end of the Star Wars trilogy, where you see Darth Vader, right, and Luke Skywalker. Everybody's, and they're all of them standing there in their full presence. The Emot has been returned, and the ring is right. The, you know, Valmor. It's all of that mythology. <laughs> it's all there. We're in barech. It's all good. It's all good. Baruch is blessing. It literally, on the outside, the shell of it is the blessing over the meal, the grace after meals. On the inside, it's the evolutionary stage of spirituality where um, we're now with child in tow, all shadow material has been returned. We're, we are everywhere we go, um, we see blessing and we give blessing. Stage uh, 14 and 15. Halil. Halil is now, you know, what are you going to say? <laughs> what are you going to say? What, what's there left to say now? The only thing you can do is praise. It's hallelujah. That's the hallelujah. Praise to those fifteen steps. Hallelujah. And right? The huh? That's when
1: the music comes.
0: And that's when the music comes. That's the outer form. We sing songs, it's the psalms, come back to singing and praising. And this the deeper meaning of this is not only is everything a blessing, but everything is praising God. Call in hallelujah. Every breath is a praise of, of the mystery of being because everything is coming in and out of being at every moment, everything. All of consciousness is itself made up of one moment at a time, and every moment is a gift, and you get it. And you arrive now, as the Buddha said, on the other side of the river, and the raft of this practice is now offered up. Right, Nirza means it has now been received. Nirca means everything has been received, it's all been one beautiful spiritual life, and the work of your life is now, it's, you're in a place of, of powerful repose, Nirtsa, or acceptance, receptivity, acceptance, all of that, that's Nirca.
1: Okay,
0: Yeah. wow, we, we just finished the Seder, everybody. Okay, one second, so okay. so, okay, so, okay, so let's take a deep breath again, everybody, let's take a couple of minutes. So, when we left Egypt, we did something differently on the night that we left Egypt than than in every other subsequent Passover. On the night that we left Egypt, we left the Chippa zone, the Torah tells us. We left quickly. And every other Passover night, from that point on, from number one on, so from the second Passover until extending in infinite time, every Passover is done slowly take our time we luxuriate no one's in a rush unfortunately sometimes (laughs) and the meaning of that what of Khan of the Blitz says is that when it comes to breaking patterns there are two models one is you take your time you go slowly you look at something and say okay there's radical change that needs to happen but I'm not going to be able to do it in one fell swoop I want to leave this relationship but I can't do it this year, it's not happening. I can't leave this job, I can't leave this. It's going to be, I have a plan. That's kind of like every Passover, forever. The first Passover, we had no time to wait. And the band-aid had to be taken off quickly. There was an urgency, a window opened, and Rav says we had to go out quickly. And sometimes breaking patterns happens like that, right, there's no time to wait, there's no, we can't be relaxed about it, we can't make a long-term plan, the window is open, the door opens, a crack, and we stick our foot in and we're out the door. We gotta go. And the the difference between those two is, is quite profound. And nobody knows, right, nobody knows, you know, whether or not they're in the first model or the second model and we each have to make that decision that's one thing I wanted to leave with you the second thing is that there's a custom at the Seder to lean to the left the outside meaning of that is that it's for two reasons one is that that's the way they did it at the symposium so it makes it it's, it's the way of kings another reason given is that it actually the food goes down more easily it's easier for digestion for the food to go down when you lean to the left and in the Kabbalah, everybody knows that in the Kabbalah, the left is a synonym for difficulty. The whole left side of the tree of life is suffering, pain, constriction, withholding, vura, dinin. And the, the, the message of the Seder is you have to lean into that stuff. Right? The way out of Egypt wasn't leaning to the right. It was leaning to the left. Right? To lean into things that are, that are painful, to lean into things that are When you're in a yoga pose, you go to the place where there's tension and then you breathe. If there's too much tension, your body will contract and it won't help. If there's not enough tension, you won't stretch. And to find the sweet spot where there's enough of that tension between as we began tonight, between the right and the left, between freedom and slavery, between the new and the old, and in that place to breathe, to open space. Hallelujah. Open space. That's the human challenge. That's our challenge. That's the most important spiritual practice anybody ever learned. And I mean, I know that it's... Does it's, it stop being recorded or not on board? Yeah, it's still going. Uh, okay, even if it is. It's more important than any other spiritual practice. Too it's on low. Practice, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and all of those practices are a way of preparing us to be able to work with life's inevitable difficulties. Right? The purpose of yoga is not so you can touch your toes. That's nice, Whatever. There are a lot of people who are very flexible who don't, have, who don't know anything about yoga, who don't live yoga, right? So if yoga was about being flexible in the body, that's, <coughs> that's nothing. <coughs> you can become a contortionist and Cirque du Soleil. <coughs> and the purpose of Jewish practice is not to become a good Jew. I know some people will tell you it is. They, they're entitled to their wrong opinion. <coughs> the purpose of Jewish practice and the purpose of any spiritual path is to become a better human being that's it and better human beings stand at the rubber of the human right, the, the rubber of our hearts meets the road of reality when we're in situations that we're, where everything in us is saying I, I can't I'm sorry I can't and we somehow find the capacity in the west we'd say to push through no pain no gain one model that it sometimes works, no doubt about it. It's not a really sustainable, long-term model, right? It breaks a lot of things. When you push, it breaks things. So the soft always overcomes the hard, and the slow always overcomes the fast, as it says the daily The same thing is true. The Olami Adam Rach It's always better to be soft like a like a reed than just to be hard like a cedar tree. So Pesach is a time to be really soft and to take your time. So I just want to, last thing I'll say before we stand and uh, and finish with our, our, our Shema, is I really, really want to invite you to go online to, to haggadah.com. There's a DIY, a Do-It-Yourself Haggadah online. Look up some of these places for the more creative stuff. And if you want to buy some books that, that will arrive before Passover, there's a Do-It-Yourself Haggadah how to make the best out This There's a book by Misha Misha El Zion Zion Z I O N and his father Noam Zion, in Hebrew also and in English. Um, on a different, it's called a different night. In, in English, but in Hebrew, I'm not sure what it's called. But they have it at the West Side of These are a couple of of books. Uh, Noam Zion Misha El Zion is a different night. But, the Lot Shami Yeah. So no, but I'm not sure if that's the actual title but it's the translation. So... <clears throat> yeah, it's published by Hartman. Anyway, there are a lot of resources, and just, just I mean, it doesn't have to be Maxwell House. It doesn't have to be Maxwell House. Please don't, you know, please don't, you know, there are, some, there are all these big goodies that everybody would feel like if they didn't have them, it wouldn't be a Maristana.